Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In his new book, Ways to the West, out from Utah State University Press, Tim Sullivan embarks on a carless road trip through the Intermountain West, exploring how the region is taking on what he says may be its greatest challenge, sustainable transportation. Sullivan, a city planner and urban designer, says that the modern West was built by the automobile, but so much driving has jeopardized the West's mystic hold on the American future. At first, automobility heightened the things that made the West great, but love became dependence, dependence became addiction. Through his travels by bicycle, bus, and train through several uh, cities in the American West, Sullivan captures the modern transportation evolution taking place across the region and the resulting ways in which contemporary Western communities are reinterpreting classic American values like mobility, opportunity, adventure, and freedom. Tim Sullivan, in addition to being a city planner and urban designer, is a writer. His professional focus is reshaping of cities and communities through alternative transportation planning. He's author of No Communication with the Sea, Searching for an Urban Future in the Great Basin. He lives in Salt Lake City with his wife and two children. Tim Sullivan, welcome back to Access Utah. Hey, thanks a lot, Tom. We talked about No Communication with the Sea, and now a pleasure to talk to you about Ways to the West. Subtitle, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's uh, Frontier. I wonder if you tell me, first of all, you start the book with uh, your travels as a young man uh, in the red and white Isuzu Trooper. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. Um, that's yeah. That's the very. That's where it all starts. Um, our, our family had a, a red and white Isuzu Trooper that um, you know we took on the road. Um, you know, it seemed like every weekend in the summer, and went camping throughout southern Utah and up up in Idaho and Wyoming in the, in the summer. Um, and, uh, I, I inherited the car when I got my driver's license and I continued the tradition of going on road trips. Um, and, um, that's really where my love for, uh, you know, traveling the West started. And so this is like, uh, like a lot of people, especially in the West, you could throw sleeping bag and whatever else in there and, and be out in the back country and, you know, a matter of, I guess minutes or hours. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I, I got a, a silver truck, Toyota Tacoma truck, um, when I uh, graduated from college, and that kind of became my road trip vehicle. And I moved all over the West. I lived in um, Colorado and uh, Arizona, Utah, um, Oregon, and um, really just love to you know chew up miles in the in the trucks. I wonder, do you have your book with you? I do. I wonder if you could read a passage for me. Hopefully the pages match up. I've got an advanced reading copy here. This is Roman numeral uh, page 14. And okay. you talk about how it's uh, the second full paragraph. As these trips accumulated, you sent something about the West, you say. I wonder if you just read me that Do paragraph. you want me to read that paragraph? That paragraph, yeah. Sure. As these trips accumulated, I sent something about the West that I was able to pinpoint only later. The mountains and deserts I explored were plenty scenic, but they possessed something else, and it was this. So many of the aspects of America that defined our country, for better and for worse, had always lay westward. They were the persona Jackson carved out of Appalachia, the designs Jefferson had on Louisiana, the dams Floyd Dominey built on, on the Colorado, the sublimity John Muir saw in the Sierra. The West was the frontier of a young frontier nation, its biggest mystery box of what might come next. The West owned trans opportunity, freedom, adventure, and America's most spectacular landscapes. A mobility-addicted nation went fastest in the West. The West had always been a well for what we valued about our country. 
making all this possible, of course, this big multi-century westward reach was transportation. And on the road, I was part of the story. That's what I felt as I drove all those miles. And you did drive a lot of miles. You put a lot of miles on that silver Toyota up and down, in fact, all over North America. I did. What was, you know, not all of, us, all of us do that, but it is sort of typical, at least of the myth of the West. What, why do you think you in particular wanted to just get out there? Well, I think part of it was just connecting the dots. You know, like a lot of it was, you know, exploring Utah in the West. And, and I mean, there's always new places to go. There's always a new mountain range to explore. Um, you know, my family and I were just up in northern Idaho and British Columbia um, exploring a whole new part of the West that, that we hadn't hadn't seen before. And I think that's the biggest thrill um, is just is that adventure and just going somewhere you haven't gone before. It might might not turn out to be spectacular, but, you know, it's some, it's somewhere new to explore and it, it allows you to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the same thing about Utah. I mean, I, I there's still so many corners of Utah that I haven't been to, you know, and, and uh, I think that maybe more than anything drives me to, to continue to travel. You, you want to be there. You want yeah, to just go to there see there. it and to yeah. kind of understand how things how things connect. Yeah, and I think you know what I wrote about. You know, I, I wasn't really aware at, at, at the time, but just um, that how much transportation shaped the West, and that when you're out on the road, you know, you're part of that story, and exploring it. Hmm. Uh, maybe we could bring in here. This is from the end of the book, the, your last chapter. Um, you talk about you. You quote Wallace Stegner. As I hadn't thought about this before. He says that the pioneers were in wagon trains to get through that all that open space quickly. Yes. It was, yeah, it was all about getting through the West. And, um, you know, the, the reason I, the reason I put that in there from, from Stegner was an essay that Stegner wrote is just how prominent the threat of mobility is throughout the history of the West. Um, and it's not just, not just the wagon train era. It's, it's all the way up till the present, you know, when you look at, you know, widening our freeways and our highways and, you know, really just movement, moving around the West has been kind of the, the, the primary calling. And I think maybe one of the most important things about this book, what I'm trying to do is to say, okay, you know, we've engineered the West. We've been able to exploit it. We've been able to, to air condition cities like Phoenix. We've been able to, you know, build freeways between, you know, cities that are 500 miles apart. Now, in this, in this you know, relatively speaking, you know, very young region of the West, we need to figure out how to live here, and we need to figure out how to create communities. And, and what Stegner was saying is that mobility is uh, the biggest thread you see throughout the West, but the corrective to this is belonging. And um, I think that is really what I was searching for on this on this road trip, mm. was ways in which, um, you know, we're, we're reshaping our transportation to create belonging in the West and our in community. And it seems like you you found that uh, at least in one place and maybe other places as well in the Bay Area you you, you got married right and uh, settled yep. down in the Bay Area for a while and, and maybe you could describe that for us and uh, where everything was close and accessible and you were part of a community. Um, yeah, I I lived for uh, about ten years in in uh, Oakland, California, uh, in the East Bay, um, and uh, you know we bought a house, we had we had kids, and. Um, you know, this is this is kind of what I'm talking about in the beginning about how the road trips kind of tailed off after that. And but instead of getting on the road, what I found was that I liked just staying in my community and and uh, you know building decks on the, on the house, uh, you know, you know working on, on cleaning up the the corner 
uh, you know, in our neighborhood and um, getting to know the merchants. And, you know, I lived in a neighborhood where, you know, everything was in walking distance. Um, you know, I had a hardware store around the corner, you know, that I went to like, you know, six times average on an average Saturday. Um, you know, there's like three grocery stores and cafes and, um, you know, having that, I, you know, realized it was pretty rare to have that and, uh, in, in America these days. And, um, so, so I, you know, part of, part of the origin of the, of the book is that, is that, you know, after, after all that, you know, I'm like, I need to go on another road trip again. But at the same time, I kind of realized that the, you know, since doing all the road trips, you know, when I was younger, that, you know, the West, um, just kind of being troubled by the auto dependency of the West and how we, you know, spread so much. The, the city, most cities in the West, unlike a lot of the West Coast cities, are, you know, they're not compact, they're not dense, they don't, they don't they're not walkable. Um, things aren't very close together. Um, and so I wanted to go out and explore how um, the cities of the West were going about changing this and trying to create that more sense of a community and, and not just uh, being able to move around in a, in a car. I wonder if I have you uh, read another passage. Uh, this is, uh, I think, a, a central piece in your indictment of the of the car, what the car has done to the West. In, in your view, uh, this is this is pretty. <laughs> I don't disagree with this, and I think a lot of our listeners will not disagree with this. This is pretty hard hitting, though. You describe State Uh-oh. Street in Salt Lake City. Uh, this is uh, Roman numeral um, seventeen. Um, so the t- top of the page, just the, the end of the paragraph. And just to set this up, you say, once unique places that bore a connection to their landscapes, Western metropolises began to look like everywhere else. Then you say, take, for example, drive down State Street. I wonder if you could start there and go to the end of the paragraph. Let's see here. Okay. Ah, here we go. Take, for example, a drive down State Street in Salt Lake City. You start at the hilltop perch of the Utah State Capitol, looking down into the bowl of the Salt Lake Valley clear across the sharp peaks of the Wasatch, if the view is not mucked up by smog, and begin heading south, moving through the grandeur of Eagle Gate and the Beehive House, which optimistically marked a new kind of community in the open valleys of the West. As this community grew, State Street, as its name implies, became the string that connected the communities of Utah. Eventually, as U.S. Highway 89 reaching to the Arizona border, a ribbon of asphalt and a car provided a day's ride from the capital through fruit orchards, Lombardy poplars, and big sagebrush to the far-flung communities of the state. But on the state street of today, it's only a few blocks until you see the toll the auto has taken on this profound road of the West. State Street has become a treeless, seven-lane traffic canal that, despite its continuing throughput, produces a hostile public realm for people. Drive on at 50 miles to the southern tip of the Wasatch Front metro area and find few respites from car malls, strip malls, boat malls, empty malls, drive-throughs, drive-ins, drive-ups, double left turns, and double whoppers. Dozens of state streets cross the west, and without the scene of the mountains rising behind them, it would be very hard to distinguish one from another. Autos are their means, but they have no end. I dare say that the cars have betrayed the American West by promising the best things about the West and then breaking those promises. Yeah, so uh, I say that you know, just to add, just to add to that, Sager, I think I think one one caveat is that you know a lot of the cities and and the, and uh, UDOT, the, you know, the state highway department, are actively trying trying to um, to change actually a lot of such segments of State Street. Um, you know, they a uh, bunch of different agencies came together to to do a study called Life on State that you know where State Street goes through communities like Murray, uh, you know, in Salt Lake Valley that. Um, is 
is in a lot of ways, you know, the, their main street. And so they're they're trying to balance this State Street's, you know, reputation for just moving traffic, um, you know, with, with community. Uh, I know Orem is um, doing a, a study on, on rethinking State Street and redesigning State Street. Um, so this this is changing, and, you know, that's a lot of the theme, theme of my book is that, you know, this is slowly changing and communities are really starting to balance this out a little bit more. Let's take a break. When we come back more with Tim Sullivan. Uh, the book is Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's uh, Frontier. Uh, when we come back from break, I want to talk about that sentence. Uh, you, you say that cars have betrayed the American West by promising uh, the best things about the West and then breaking those promises. I want to hear about that. And then uh, how you outline your road trip, then we'll, we'll, we'll get on that road trip. Uh, you, uh, you meant to as much as you could to do this road trip around the American West with, without a car. There were a few places where you did a car, but this was bus and uh, bike and, uh, and train. We'll talk more following the break. Exotic tropical diseases are reappearing down south in the U.S. Things like dengue and chikungunya and Chagas disease, we really have no idea that they're even here, let alone what kind of disease burden that they're causing. Decades of ignoring a public health risk have come back to bite us. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Support comes from the 23rd Annual Moab Music Festival. Presenting Clarice Assad, plus Off the Cliff, Harlem Renaissance, and classic to contemporary chamber music. September 3rd through the 14th. Information at moabmusicfest.org. Once upon a time, war bonds helped the country pay to fight World War II. It would be nice today to have celebrities and movie stars getting behind the government, if not for a war effort, to maybe finding some way to save America. Coming up, why Miley Cyrus isn't going to be hawking war bonds anytime soon. Next time on Marketplace from APM. That's tonight at 6.30 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Tim Sullivan. He's a city planner, urban designer, and he's an author. Uh, the current book is out from Utah State University Press, Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's Frontier. And uh, we are uh, including you as well. We're opening the phone line right now. Hope that you will join us if you have a question or comment at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Our email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I'd love to know how you get around. How do, how do you do your commute? What problems do you encounter? Uh, perhaps you love your car. You're going to uh, you know, fight with Tim Sullivan over car culture. Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, so, Tim Sullivan, you, you said something uh, Pretty important there at the end of that passage that we had you read before the break. Uh, you say, I dare say that cars have betrayed the American West by promising the best things about the West, then a breaking those promises. So, what uh, what promises? Well, I think you know, starting in you know, starting you know, hundred years ago, and really picking up steam, you know, after World War II, um, what was possible with the automobile was very enticing, and the types of places that we could create. Um, 
where we could, you know, have a lot of elbow room from our nearest neighbor, you know, where we could feel like we could live in the country, but get into our, you know, urban jobs, you know, and by you know, 20 minute commute. Um, I think it presented a vision of, of a place that is not necessarily sustainable. And I, I think that's what I mean by betraying. And, and, and now we're starting to see, you know, how the, the, the returns of all this automobility that we've created in, in every Western city starting to diminish or has been diminishing for a while. You know, everywhere gets congested, even the furthest, most out, most out places. Um, and so, I mean, that's what I mean by the betrayal. It's cars really, we thought that we built all of our communities around cars basically for decades. And now we're, now we're seeing the problems associated with that. I think one of the most important things that I want to stress about this book and about, um, you know, my transportation planning practice in general is, I think the most important thing, and I say this in the book, is, is, is choice. I mean, it comes down to choice. And that the, 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 one of the biggest problems is that we've, our choices as travelers, as community members in the West, has been reduced to, to one. And it's basically getting in your car and driving, you know, wherever you need to go, even if it's to the store. Mm. Um, a lot of what I'm advocating for is not, not to, to eliminate cars, it's, it's to create other alternatives. And in order to create those other alternatives, um, we need to ease up on the car dictating everything that we do with not only just engineering, but also city planning, real estate, uh, finance, uh, economics. Um, because, you know, I started out as an urban designer um, and, and uh, land use planner, and the more I got into that, I saw that the, the more... That I got, the more that I got into to doing that work, I saw that transportation basically dictated everything. And that, you know, keeping, if you want to put trees on a corner, you need, you can't do that because you need to keep sight lines clear, you know, for turning vehicles. If you want to put a, a building at the front of a sidewalk to create a, you know, a more pleasant place for people, you know, in a community and walking, you can't do that because most businesses want parking in front so that people will see it and they'll be successful. And so on and on. Um, so our choices in how to build our communities really has been reduced to a formula, to one formula. And, um, I, I think that's the most important thing that I want to emphasize. And that's maybe one of the biggest betrayals is that is a place that seems so wide open with so many choices and so much freedom and opportunity really has been narrowed down to, to one kind of small, narrow formula and how to, how to build our cities. You, you have some statistics, uh, most American school ch- children do not, not now, uh, you know, walk or bike to school. That's declined. Uh, most of America can't walk to their daily needs in 10 or 20 minutes. Uh, so as you yep. say, that's just one choice. It's the car in, in, in many, many places. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a lot of, a lot of different factors. It's, and the reason for that is, you know, crossing big, busy streets. Um, there were several communities where sidewalks were never built. We're actually uh, working on a project right now in Mill Creek, uh, in, uh, which is an unincorporated a township of Salt Lake County, just south of Salt Lake City. And um, I think something like 56% of the streets in Mill Creek, which goes all the way from um, Mount Olympus down to the Jordan River, so it's a big cross-section of Salt Lake Valley, um, do not have sidewalks. And so um, we're trying to figure out how to retrofit sidewalks back onto these streets because you know, parents are worried about their kids walking to school. Um, and so, you know, it's it's that. It's, it's um, that when you design cul-de-sacs into every neighborhood, then that funnels all of the traffic on that you have to make the arterial streets, the big streets, really big, because they're, they're carrying all this traffic. 
and then that, those become impossible to cross or really difficult to cross and unsafe. And so that cuts off kids from school. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a, that's one aspect, you know, of um, you know reducing the the choices people have for transportation. You talked to you used the word b- belongingness or or sense of belonging before. I wonder how that mm-hmm. uh, how how the car culture the car um, car defined uh, city planning how that counteracts a sense of belonging. Well, I think I think it's just because um, you know as Stegner said that that the the, the he kind of put mobility and belonging in opposition in that the West history of mobility is just this this, this thread that's that's uh has run really strong through the history of the West, um and, and America in general. Um and that it's it's not about stopping and being, it's about moving. Um and and that's kind of been our MO in the West is is to just focus on moving people around. And we're sort of trapped in a situation now in that that, that um People don't live close enough together. Most most densities of communities are not supportive of, of transit. The, the transit needs to work in a market sense. They need to get enough riders. It doesn't work uh, for bicycling or for for walking, and so you know that creates kind of the only um, opportunity is, is is driving. And what that does in terms of a sense of belonging is um, you're you're just not able to um, create the types of communities um, that that emphasizes sense of belonging. I'm not. I'm not saying that, you know, people don't have a sense of belonging in the West. I think people do, um, and I think the automobile has, especially initially, really emphasized that, um, and and helped people get out into the into the uh, back and beyond to help create that sense of land, belonging in the landscape. But I guess I'm talking more about the sense of belonging in our cities. Um, we're just more. We're just disconnected from one another physically. Um, I think it's just hard to connect more to our neighbors and, you know, to adjacent communities, to the downtowns of our cities if they have them. Um, I think that's more of what I mean. But uh, but isn't that, uh, I, I think a lot of us want that, don't we? We want a big old lot with our house to sit on. We're, we're sort of in our own little kingdom, and that's a lot of a sense of op- do, open space, you know? It's increasingly not feasible. It's not financially feasible. It's not not feasible from an, a city infrastructure standpoint, Um Financially, a lot of people can't afford it, uh, you know. And, and what the Great Recession showed is that the the neighborhoods that were more walkable, more connected, more um, closer to downtowns, further into jobs, were the ones that held their value. And the ones that um, were further out had those bigger lots um, were the ones that declined in general. Um, I'm going to read a short passage here from the uh, from the last uh, chapter. This is quoting Stegner. You say, when Stegner wrote, When Charles Dickens in the Mississippi Valley met a full-sized dwelling house coming down the road at a round trot, <laughs> he, he was looking at the American people head-on. With a continent to take over and manifest destiny to goad us, we could not have avoided being footloose. Uh, first of all, I wasn't aware of that anecdote. That's that's amazing. <laughs> and I think it epitomizes, right, America, at least at, it's at some point. And there's some romance in that, isn't there? Being being footloose, are are, are you saying Certainly. that in the West well, we know, have honestly, to grow up? A lot now? of what a lot of what I wanted to capture is, you know, I I didn't want to find communities that were, you know, do going to the the new urbanism, um, you know, cookie cutter, you know, let's uh, let's build the same type of community, you know, everywhere. I wanted to see places that were really still embodying the, those those values of the West. I mean, that really became the heart of my book is. 
really understanding what the, the essence of the West is, the freedom, opportunity, mobility, um, uh, uh, adventure, and really seeing how other types of places could embody that. Again, this isn't about, you know, forcing things into a, a small, you know, this is round, you know, peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole. You know, this is about creating choices. And, you know, you mentioned some of us like, you know, the large lots, but, and that's fine. There should be the choice for that. But the problem is in a lot of places, there are no choices for to live a more, you know, urban life for other transportation, with other transportation options. Um, so, yeah, I mean, exactly what you're describing with, the, you know, that, that Stegner quote, that's that's what a lot of us uh, want to be so loose. And, and that's why I started the book with the, uh, the anecdote that I did is that I'm one of those people that loves the road and loves that sense of the West. Hmm. But it's just, you know, it, it's it's that um, the West doesn't, it's just, it's sort of like we've interpreted it in the wrong way, I think. Hmm. And that there are other ways to interpret the sense being so loose or um, loving adventure and freedom and, op- and opportunity. And in fact, the way in, the way in which we're interpreting it currently is not, it's not sustainable and it's not really uh, good for anyone right now. Uh, yeah, so reinterpreting those 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 key words, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you're talking about mobility and, and adventure and freedom. Um, and let me let me give you an example. I mean, the very first chapter, you know, which is called the future. The West has always been about the future, and so we have this crisis of the future. Especially, you know, when I started the book, it was the depths of the Great Recession, and all these communities were going into recession. So I started, I started the book in Las Vegas for a reason, and that was because you know Las Vegas was like the foreclosure capital of the country. And so you had all these, and it had grown, and it, was, it had also been the fastest growing city in, in America. So you had these communities that had been built, you know, with walls around them, and these streets that had just been pushed through without, with very, very little thought given to them, and very, very little, they were not walkable at all. You know, and I walk around with a the planner there, and, and we see this. But there, in, in Las Vegas, you know, there's, uh, as in everywhere else, there's, there's folks that are trying to change that. And the example I give as a street that, you know, a street, the future and an opportunity and, and mobility in the West doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred foot wide street with, you know, five foot sidewalks and the rest, you know, 90 feet given over to auto lanes. The example I give is um, in downtown Las Vegas, they built a, a new kind of street. It's um, for a, a bus rapid transit line, you know, where you have these red, these kind of ruddy red uh, bus lanes. Um, you have um, these great kind of bus light rail type stops. You know, with old Las Vegas signs on them, you have wide sidewalks uh, with palm trees and shade trees, you know, along it. And it's it's a it's a street that's built for people, and, it, and yet it still uh, embodies what you feel like is Las Vegas. You feel like you're in Las Vegas. It has that that flavor, uh, but it's a street built for people instead of cars. We're talking with Tim Sullivan. His book out from Utah State University Press is Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's Frontier. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495. Or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Love to hear what you think on, on this. Do you feel a sense of belonging to the place where you live? Are, uh, how do you get around? Is it a bike or mass transit or bus? Uh, is it your car? Love to hear from you. Uh, this is uh, Bridget in Logan who's emailed us. Uh, says, Tim, this topic is fascinating. I had a conversation with a friend just yesterday about 
Big city living, that is San Francisco, versus casual ruralish living, that is Logan, Utah. I love the idea that you've talked about walking to the grocery store, walking to the hardware store, etc. But my friend mentioned coming back to Logan and really appreciating the comfort and convenience of having a car. For as much as I dream about walking everywhere, do you think Westerners would ever trade driving for walking? Maybe it feels like home or acts like a security blanket. It really might be an addiction, like you said. What, what do you I think, think we are. I mean, I think that change is happening. Um, you know, one of the one of the, the main metrics of, of auto dependency is vehicle miles traveled. Um, and, you know, we're watching this. It's from 2004 to about 2014, uh, vehicle miles traveled for the first time in human history. Uh, or, you know, since the advent of the automobile, it began to decline and declined pretty steeply. And, you know, this happened before the recession started. Um and it lasted for 10 years, and the, the, the decreases were, you know, I think up to around 10% or something. And, and the same thing happened in, in Western cities. Those, they were a part of the story. Um, it started to creep up a little bit since uh, in the last year or so, um, not up to, uh, you know, levels that it was before in terms of the, 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 the trend of, of increase, um, probably due to decreased fuel prices. But... Um, you know that's one of one of the metrics for 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 kind of looking at how we really are becoming less dependent on automobiles. And I think automobiles are always going to be part of the West. And I don't think Western cities for a very long time are going to be you know like San Francisco or New York. Um, but we're starting to uh, I think I think transit transit miles um, have increased in uh, I think Salt Lake and Phoenix by 33 percent. You know those cities have gotten light rail systems. Bicycling has been has grown probably the most uh, of any commute mode percentage-wise. Um, I think it's grown by like 60 percent in, in most American in, in, you know across the board in American cities. Um, so we are, um, and, and the West just really fits into that in a lot. Of, you know, we have a lot of the most healthiest populations here in Western cities, mm-hmm. and in uh, in the West in general. Um, and when I say cities, I mean urbanized areas. And about 90 percent of the West lives in an urbanized area, and so. You might associate rural with the West, but the West is actually the most urbanized area of um, um, of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so throughout the West and throughout America, you know, things really are changing, and the demand for for alternative transportation is increasing. And you know, our our cities and our transit agencies and our regional governments are all responding, you know, with, with better bicycling facilities, with more transit options. So things things are changing, and, and I, you know, I really hope that the message of this book is an optimistic one, and saying, you know what, we have a moment here um, to really uh, provide a wider scope of possibility here in the West. And I was just going to bring that point up, but uh, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? We we think about everybody living in rural open spaces in the West, but the West is a very urban place. That's where most of the people live, and so you're you're talking mostly about the cities. What would you say to someone who lives in a in a very small town? Um, you, you know, your, your, I guess, choices. It's, it's again, choices. Have your car to get around. But, exactly. And mm-hmm. I went to a lot of small towns in the book, you know, and, and it was interesting to see economically and, um, you know, the reasons why people were there. People people do want to just get away and, and live there. And, you know, it's with modern telecommunications as they are, it is easy to telecommute from, from small towns. Um uh, I, I I don't know, I don't I don't think it's any different. I think I think it's just it's just it's more difficult to provide those choices. I think, and um, you know 
I think a lot of it is is self sufficiency. I think on one hand, those small towns can be. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of them are sort of like are sort of bedroom communities for the bigger metro areas. Um, but there are some where you know, either through mining or through agriculture or through um, you know maybe some manufacturing or something that there really are there really is a small town economy still. It's becoming rarer and rarer in the West as you know the bigger metros kind of swallow up those smaller towns and kind of take them into their you know urban shadow. Um, but you know I think it is I think that you still want the same choices for transportation. And, um, for community building, uh, in a, in a lot of ways, you know, you don't have these big, um, you know, arterial streets taking people to their jobs from 40 miles away. You know, you do have more of a small town atmosphere, but I think it's just becoming harder and harder and, and rarer and rarer in the West. And so for the people that have that, I think they're, you know, they're lucky and, you know, they should hold on to that. Let's take another break. We'll come back with uh, Tim Sullivan. His book is out from Utah State University Press it's called Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's uh, Frontier. Uh, Tim Sullivan, I'll have you tell some stories from the road uh, when we come back. Uh, you biked, I think, took train, took the Greyhound bus. What, what else did you do? Um, and then I, I did drive a few sections, and okay. those for different reasons. There were um, there was one section in Utah where I... It was. I was kind of in the heart of Canyon Country, and I, I, um, I did have a a time limit for this trip. I had three weeks, and so I couldn't really dally. Um, there was, and I, you know, I didn't didn't have a ton of money for it. So um, there were some options that would take me a long time and and um, uh, cost a lot of money. But I, you know, they weren't really feasible. So, you know, there were some places in the West where really there weren't any options, even Greyhound. Um, you know, say Canyon Country, Southern Utah. And then the other piece was um, through from from Las Vegas to Boise. I could have taken Greyhounds, but I decided to rent a car and drive it because I wanted to take a blue highway. And it was a segment where I was kind of looking and you know in dialogue with um, the original Lincoln Highway and thinking. I drove a segment of the original Lincoln Highway and thinking about early motorists and um, and their experience and and creation of the West. Um, so I decided to rent a car and drive from Las Vegas to Boise on back roads. Uh, I could have taken the Greyhound, but at that point I think I'd taken about five or six Greyhound trips, and uh, I was ready for something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, we'll talk more about that. I want to hear about that uh, trip down the Lincoln Highway. I want to hear about your biking. You you chose to, to bike at least one section in Wyoming. That's uh, pretty brave. It was, it was still very winterish. More following the break. Support for the Utah StoryCorps project is made possible in part by our members and Utah State University Uinta Basin. Offering over 45 accredited degree options including business, nursing, and education. More information at uintabasin.usu.edu. If you want garlic next June, you need to plant it now. If you want fall greens, you need to plant them now. Do you want to know when to pick your winter squash? Listen to the Zesty Garden this Thursday at 10 o'clock. USU Extension Vegetable Specialist Dan Drost will be in studio to answer your questions. You'll also learn how to get those tomatoes to ripen on the vine using the ground heat that usually escapes into space each night by corralling it for your own use. It's the Zesty Garden, Thursday mornings at 10 from Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. My guest is Tim Sullivan. He's a city planner and urban designer. He's a writer. His professional focus is reshaping of cities and communities through alternative transportation planning. 
author previously of No Communication with the Sea, Searching for an Urban Future in the Great Basin. And his uh, current book is Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's Frontier. It's out from Utah State University Press. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com is our email, upraxcess at gmail.com. So Tim Sullivan, you uh, you took some historic routes and uh, meditated about uh, people who've come before. Before we get to the Lincoln Highway, I want to have you talk about uh, Dominguez and Escalante. Oh, you're, that's, that's yeah, going, I mean, it's this, going way back. This was just one. This was one part of the trip that you know, as I as I started researching the subject and started thinking about writing the book, that really jumped out at me. Is really an exciting piece of this. Is that you know, if you look look at the history of the West, you know, it it it, it was these initial trips throughout the history of the West. Is you know, um, forging of uh, you know Spanish travelers and uh, uh, you know. Creating uh, like the Oregon Trail, the Santa Fe Trail, the Santa Fe Railroad, the Lincoln Highway. I mean, these were a lot of the routes that shaped the modern West um, and gave it. And again, you know, it goes back to the, the essential qualities of the West. It really created opportunity, a sense of freedom, a sense of adventure. Um, and so, that was really exciting to me is that I could kind of go back and experience um, in between the cities on this road trip. I could experience and. Uh, Explore that creation of the West in, in the history, and you know a lot of I you know I read a lot of the original um, diaries and uh, of the you know these travelers, Robert Stewart, uh, Escalante Dominguez, some of the Oregon uh, Trail travelers. Um, one of the a woman who who drove the Lincoln Highway, you know, right after it was built, and so I was able to kind of follow their routes um, for uh, for for a lot of it, and uh, and really understand the origin of of these qualities that we. Know, associate with the West, and so um, Dominguez Escalante was the first one that I did. And um, a friend and I, what I did, the, the book starts in Las Vegas, and uh, it's in, in a lot of people have said, you know, it's an abrupt departure from going from talking about engineering and planning in Las Vegas to all of a sudden following Dominguez and Escalante, these these two um, uh, fathers in uh, Franciscan fathers in in. Uh, uh, who, who basically who tra- tried to go from Santa Fe to Monterey, uh, California, uh, in 1776 to, to create uh, you know a route through through this this pretty rugged part of the West, and didn't make it and ended up turning around. And the piece that I focus in on is they're trying to ca- to cross the Colorado River at about where the Grand Canyon is. And so it's about it's about it's in a section called the Land, and it's all about you know how we have framed uh, the landscape of the West by, through transportation, and it was really these early routes that helped frame, frame the West um, through transportation. It started with Escalante and Dominguez. And, Dominguez. and um, uh, so, so a friend and I, I, got a, I enlisted a friend, um, and he met me in St. George in southwestern Utah. And so we um, got on our, I had my touring bike and I had all my touring stuff and he, he met me there. And so we rode from St. George down into the Arizona Strip, um, which I had heard, I'd never been to. I'd heard all about it. My grandparents and great, great grandparents are from St. George. They, you know, helped settle it. Um, so I'd heard all about the Arizona Strip. I'd never been there. And, and uh, so we, we took bikes down there and um, for uh, two, two or three days and, 
and um, camped and tried to try to follow follow the the uh, Escalante Dominguez uh, trail as, as closely as we could and camped in the similar places for for the, the two nights that we camped. Um, uh, and so, or I think it was maybe, maybe one night that we camped. And and um, so it was just trying to you know like to to slow it down and and try to like uh, in in each of those historic routes I tried to really approximate the the mode of travel that each that each each uh, of the original travelers had, and they were on horses, and so they, you know, approximated everything by leagues, and um, they really had. Were, this was the point at which and this was really the kind of the crux of their journey. You know, they were so d- disgusted with, you know, they had given up. You know, they were out of food. They had to kill horses to eat. Um, you know, they were they were so uh, dismayed. They, they named their campsites. Um, uh, each one of them, and so you have this kind of alternative name naming system that runs in parallel to you know the the um, Mormon settlers um, naming naming system, which is kind of interesting. So some some of them they refused to name because they were so discouraged. Um, so they were talking to Paiutes. They're trying to get across the Grand Canyon. They finally crossed it at a place that's now known as the Crossing of the Fathers, and it's under Lake Powell. Um, so we tried to follow them as, as best we could. Um, on all the way to uh, about Canab for Fredonia, and so uh, you know that was a an interesting piece of the journey, um, for sure. Uh, tell me about some of the people you met along along the way. Traveling slow this way, right? You can actually meet yep. people and you get a sense. Of yeah, the, we, the you know, I, I met all sorts of people. I. Um, you know, part of my favorite, one of my favorite things was stopping in a lot of the small towns along the way. Um, in La Junta, Colorado, I spent a day there, um, taking it easy. I, this was a point in the trip, uh, maybe about two thirds of the way through, where I just kind of needed to take a breath. And um, La Junta, I actually, came, La Junta is an interesting place because it's, uh, it means the junction, um, parting ways. Um, and it was a really important place for the history of transportation in America. Um, it's kind of a, it's off the interstate now, so once the interstate was built, it kind of lost, it, lost its importance. Um, but what I found, all these, I talked to all these people who had moved there because they wanted to get away from the hustle and bustle of the cities. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the piece of the, the book where I talk about the concept of freedom. Um, and so, you know, these folks wanted freedom from where I'd just been in the Denver Tech Center, you know, and... Uh, big office park in the middle in you know the suburbs of denver um but yeah i mean i I met all these people and it was you know in a lot of ways easier to meet people in small towns um partially because i wasn't you know interviewing people all the time i was just sort of traveling through um i met a woman who uh on the train i took a a santa fe train from la junta to flagstaff arizona you know and i met a woman who had grown up riding the train from la junta She, she remembered the california limited with the Pullman sleeping cars um, and just how nice everything was. And so she was a little dismayed at what had become of, you know, inner city travel in the West on, on trains, how it had become, you know, turned into just a very skeletal service on Amtrak. Um, and she remembered, you know, the history of when Lanta was a great train city. Um, so a lot of these towns that I went to were kind of these, this fate of glory, you know. Uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming, I went to... Um, where my my uh, grandfather was from, and so you know my mom had told me about the history of that town, her her experiences of it, and you know, um, it, you know, and then just kind of seeing what what how it's evolved since then. Um, so, yeah, I met a lot of really interesting people, and then you know a lot of the the people that I interviewed along the way. I mean, basically everybody was doing really interesting stuff. So that's you know that's a whole different different.
different piece of it. And a lot of those experiences would not have been possible if you were just shooting through in, in the car. Uh, you, you, there's an arc to, to you know, each of the sections. The West created, lost, and reclaimed. And you ask a, a key question, and I think it's near the end of the book. Uh, if not the car, what does define the West? So what, what does define the West if not the car? Well, I think it goes back to these, these, these qualities of it. I mean, we're a young American, like I say, we're a young frontier region in a, in a frontier, in a young country. Um, and so we're still figuring out what defines us in the West. And we're in danger of being defined by automobiles. But I think what most people would say are, is, you know, the things that essentially define America are found in the, in the West, you know, this freedom and opportunity. And um, these are all cliches, but, you know, if you really think about what they mean, um, and that's a lot of why people move to the West and live, and live in the West. And I think that's what defines the West. And, and in terms of, um, we just need to find a different way of interpreting it and, to, and, and building it. I was interested in your, your discussion of Portland, which is a, a lovely city. I've only been there once, but it's, uh, it's beautiful. I, I got out and went to a conference, but before then I, I spent three or four hours just walking around the city, which is very doable in, in Portland. And you talk about... You hold Portland up as, as an example. This struck me. Um, you say that perhaps we should uh, follow Portland's example using our streets to go nowhere at all, which seems to fly in the face of, uh, you know, let's get things done, etc. Let's get somewhere. <laughs> um, tell yeah, me about this that. Is a, this is a chapter I call the new mobility because, you know, this is where I discuss, you know, Stagner and, and I'm talking about mobility as a, as a key thread running through the West. And that I think mobility still needs to be a major piece of the West, but I just, like everything else, I think we need to reinterpret it. And so that's why I'm calling it the new mobility. So I think, I think what I wanted to, to focus on in Portland, which is really more of a coda than anything else, you know, on this book, because I think it's a little unfair to compare Portland to, you know, a lot of the interior West cities. Um, uh, but in, this, in the same, because it's on the West Coast, I think it's got a different culture. Portland's really unique, and the reasons why it is what it is are pretty unique. Uh, but one thing is that it's not it's not reliant on um, you know old transit like subway lines that were built in the 1800s or anything like that. Everything Portland's done, I think, apart from its great walking grid that you referred to, that it's, it's small blocks, small you know small streets. Um, it, they've done through public policy. You know they've done uh, you know they have an urban growth boundary. They they started in on light rail really early. Um, you know, the way that they've chosen to grow has been a choice in, in, in the very, you know, recent era. Um, and so that's the way that I think, uh, you know, and it's a small city. It's about the same size as Salt Lake, a little bit bigger. But, um, you know, a lot of the choices that they made, I think, can really, and, and they continue to make, uh, you know, I think can be, uh, you know, looked at by other Western cities. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to focus on in Portland is the use of streets. To, for public space, because I think that's one thing that often gets missed is, is in addition to make, using street right-of-ways for public space, or, or sorry, for, uh, for not only for cars but other transportation modes, streets are our biggest public space by far. Um, you know, and I think what I'm arguing in that, in that chapter is that as our telecommunications have, have gotten more and more advanced, is more of our life online, more of our life is, is in our mobile devices. We don't need these huge hulking freeways to do everything. You know, we don't need mobility in the classic sense that, you know, a lot of our lives are on online. And so we can use our street for something else. We can use our street for our community and being together. Um, 
And, you know, you see more and more in, um, that the places that are, that are dense and urban and livable and use and, and have great public spaces, those are the places that people want to be, you know, like Manhattan, you know, San Francisco, you know, all these places, um, Portland. And so one of the things that Portland does is that people just use, use the streets for public space. They don't use them for mobility. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm calling, I'm calling the new mobility hmm. is sense of movement, um, that a lot of our other aspects of our lives are we are we're able to accomplish without just running around all the time. That in our streets can be used for public spaces. Just a, a couple of minutes left. I wonder maybe you can bring that to Salt Lake City then, uh, which is you know based on Brigham Young's vision: big blocks, wide streets. Um, hey, it's, how, how do it's we how to interpret that? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of thought going on in Salt Lake right now with respect to that. Uh, for example. Um, you know, they, I think, I, I don't know if there's a downtown alliance or someone, but, you know, they, I think they just started a little, there are these things called parklets that I, I believe were, um, uh, developed, started to be developed in, in San Francisco, maybe starting like 10 years ago, where you take a parking space and turn it into a small public space. Um, and other cities have started doing this. Um, and, you know, you're starting to see something similar happening in, in downtown Salt Lake and, Certainly, parking spaces being turned over to bike, what we're called bike corrals, that are bike racks. Um, you know, you're starting to see uh, more interest in food trucks. Um, and this is everywhere. This is in, not only in downtown Salt Lake, but suburbs, small towns. Um, people want to gather. People want to see other people. And, um, you know, really, in addition to people wanting to walk around, I think people want, want public spaces back. And so you're starting to see more of a reclaiming of the streets for public space, hmm. um, and that includes includes Utah. Yeah, uh, food trucks, that's a, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Yes, you know, and, and I think that, you know, us urbanists really see it through the lens of, of urbanism, and, you know, you're creating, you know, these temporary public spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, I, I mean, I, I, people just, you know, want to be out, out and about and see interesting things and, you know, be out, be out in public. I kind of think of it as uh, uh, ice cream trucks for adults, but it's kind of a you know, similar phenomenon. Everybody gathers. <laughs> That's right. Everybody That's a good gathers. way of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. Uh, much more in the book. You'll uh, need to get get a copy. Ways to the West, How Getting Out of Our Cars is Reclaiming America's Frontier. Uh, Tim Sullivan is the author. Is out from Utah State University uh, Press. Uh, Tim Sullivan, thank you. Well, I appreciate having me on. And uh, thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour... Home recording studios and music mixing software have made it affordable for talented musicians to produce and distribute their own music. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for a new groove, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org.
Next time on NPR's Ask Me Another, our VIP Bon Appetit's editor-in-chief, Adam Rappaport, weighs in on one of his pet peeves, Yelp reviews. I went to this place for my anniversary, and it was just like, they service. I was like, dude, what are you talking Get a life. Join me, Ophira Eisenberg, for a culinary journey on NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and tasty trivia. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Science at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Access Utah. The time now is 10 o'clock.